Well, today's an exciting day. Anybody know why? Baptism Sunday. Baptism and new members. All right. Wonderful. It's a rowdy crowd out there. Kind of scary, actually. My goodness. Um, yeah, it is Baptism and New Members Sunday, and I'm very excited. Very excited. Um, you know, if someone comes to the place where they're ready to become a member, we'll do that on a Sunday, but it's cool when we have members and baptisms all on one Sunday just to celebrate it together. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, today we're going to do a little bit of a shorter sermon because I do want to unpack a little bit about what's actually happening here in the membership and in the baptisms. And we're going to do that by looking at a passage in Titus chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you want to open it up to Titus chapter 3. And uh, I think this is a really helpful passage for us today because Paul is writing to Titus He's writing to Titus, who's a pastor on the island of Crete. And the people that lived on the island of Crete were called Cretans. And I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but a Cretan is not a good person. Uh, And that's because the, uh, the people on the Isle of Crete were actually pretty nasty folks. I don't know how they are today, so if you've got ties to Crete, don't, don't uh, get mad at me. But I know back then they were not nice people. Crete was known for its greed. It was known for its violence, it was known for its deceit, it was known for its sexual chaos, and therefore, these are not good people. And yet, God is doing something, and there's a church, a gospel-centered church, flourishing on this island of Crete, and this pastor Titus needs instructions from Paul about what to do as he's pastoring in this really crazy place, and these people are coming into new life in Christ, And so we're going to read that. I'm going to ask Cherish to come on up. Let's welcome her. Cherish is going to read from Titus 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful, peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too are foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Amen. The word of God. Let me pray. Father, we do pray for your presence with us this morning. We pray that you would change us, that you would help us to see who you are in your word. I pray, uh, I need your grace. I need your power. I pray that you would give me the words to say 
and that we would all leave transformed by your presence among us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. What type of people is God looking for? What type of person does God want to bring into his family? A breathing one. Is God looking for good people? Is God looking for good people to bring into his family? Is he looking to bless people who are morally good? Does he want nice people, nice children to bring into his family? Is, is God looking for good people? And that's a good question because most of us in our lives, we're looking for good people as well, right? We want to spend our time with people who are loyal. When we're kind to them, they're kind back to us. Or even if they're not kind all the time, we at least want them to make sense to us. We're looking for good people. You've heard that phrase, right? Like, he's not perfect, but he's good people. We want someone that's trustworthy, that won't sell us out, and that's good people. And because we're looking for good people, we assume that God is also looking for good people to bless, for good people to bring into his family, for good people to love. We think that God is operating on this scale system where someone, their good deeds and their good actions outweigh their bad deeds and their bad actions. They're more loyal, they're more kind, they're more selfless than they are selfish, than they are using people, and than they are lying. We think that God is looking for good people. This idea of God looking for good people is portrayed in this TV show, The Good Place. Anybody seen that show, The Good Place? And in that show, Kristen Bell plays this character named Eleanor, and Eleanor ends up in the good place, heaven. She ends up there with all the other good people, except there's a problem. Eleanor is not supposed to be in the good place because she's an awful person. Like, she's just an awful person. She's not loyal. She lies. She uses people. She excuses her bad behavior. She is not good people. Well, Michael, played by Ted Danson, who's kind of the architect of the good place, finds out that she's not supposed to be there, that she's there by accident. And he gives her this questionnaire. He's like, well, you're not supposed to be here, but maybe you're worthy enough to be in the good place. Maybe you're actually good enough to be in the good place. And so she gets this questionnaire, and the questionnaire says, did you commit murder? Did you commit arson? Did you take off your shoes and socks on an airplane? Did you ever have a vanity license plate? Did you ever reheat fish in the office microwave? <laughs> have you ever cared about The Bachelor and any of its attendant spinoffs? And we kind of laugh because some things are serious and some things are not. And Kristen or Eleanor answers the questionnaire. But then Ted Dance and Michael sits down with her and says, let's watch some movie clips of your life. Let's look back on your life and see if you are good enough to be in the good place. And Eleanor says, well, as we're watching this video, it doesn't make me look great, so don't judge me. To which he says, that's literally the purpose of this entire exercise. Like we're watching your life to actually judge you. So when you say, don't judge me, that doesn't make sense. But I think that's actually insightful. That's an insightful response because that's how we respond. We just say, listen, I'm good people, so ignore all the evidence that says I'm not. Ignore all the evidence that says otherwise. 
What about you? In the eyes of God, do you see yourself as a good person? As you read through his Ten Commandments, do you see the evidence stacked against you? How you've not kept the things that you should have kept, you've not done the things that God asked you to do, and you've violated things that you shouldn't have done. And even if you've done the things that you should have done, there's probably an attitude in your heart that is still sinful. Well, everyone that says, well, okay, nobody's perfect, though. Nobody's perfect, right? But that's just the point. God is good and absolutely perfect. No flaws in his character, no unrighteousness. He's perfectly loving, he's unmovably just, he's infinitely merciful, he's compassionate and kind, he's unapologetically righteous, and he's perfectly good. God is good, and he judges us against his perfect character. He judges us by who he is. And therefore, there are no good people according to God's standards. If you're taking notes, you can write down good people in that first couple blanks. There are no good people by God's standards because everyone has broken God's law and fallen short of his glory. Have you ever considered that you're not good people in God's eyes? Like, have you ever taken that seriously? It doesn't really matter what you think about you. How does God see you according to his standards? Then what do you do with that? Well, here's what we tend to do. We go, well, that doesn't make me look great, so let's ignore that evidence. You know, don't judge my actions because I have motives. I have reasons why I did things I shouldn't have done. I have sincerity inside even though I did things that were not permitted. We tend to overlook our sin as excusable. You can write down the word sin as excusable because of our circumstances, because of our sincerity, because of our motives or the pressures around us. We always have a reason why we do what we do, but that doesn't make what we do excusable before God. And so we find ourselves saying things like this, I know I got revenge, but didn't they kind of deserve it? I know I took what wasn't mine, but didn't I deserve it after what I've been through? I know I'm not married to them, and I'm married to someone else, but my spouse isn't really paying attention to me. And everything we do that's against God's law, we find some legitimate excuse, but it's not really legitimate. It's a violation of who God is, and therefore there's no good people in God's eyes because a good person is someone who never sins against God, and there's no one who exists who's never sinned. Eleanor knows she's not good people in the show, The Good Place. She knows it. And so they show her inside of her apartment, and you can tell she's just kind of pensive, like she's waiting for them to come and get her. She's waiting for someone to appear and knock on her door. We got you. You're not good people. You shouldn't be in the good place. And she's living her life kind of always on edge, waiting. What about you? If God appeared at your front door to call you to account for not living according to his standards, what do you think about that? What would you do? How do you deal with the fact that you're not good people in his eyes? Now, those are tough questions. 
and we're going to answer those questions. But I want to ask those questions for two reasons. Uh, One, I want to clarify what's not happening today. As people join the church and are baptized, what's not happening today is they're saying, I'm good people now. Like, I got it together. My life is all together now. I'm good. I'm acceptable to God. I've joined a church. I've gotten baptized. I'm good. I'm on God's good side. That's not what's happening today. Being a member of a church, being baptized is a good thing, but it doesn't make you a good person in God's eyes. So that's not what's happening today. Here's what is happening. God is going public with his goodness and love to bad people. God is going public with his goodness and love to bad people. If you look in verse 3, Paul talks about humanity. And he says, for we too once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and detesting one another. Paul's saying, listen, all of humanity was spiritually blind. We were making up God according to how we wanted him to be. We were in competition against one another. We were captured by our own heart's desires. We were not full of love. Which makes sense if he's talking about the people in Crete. Remember those Cretans? It makes sense if he's talking about those people because Cretans were liars. A lot of them were ex-mercenaries. They were greedy, unsafe, selfish, violent, sexually chaotic people. That makes sense if he's talking about them as bad people. But what does he say? We. Paul, the religious righteous man, says... We. In other words, he includes himself with the bad people. He was a religious man full of zeal for God, but when he came face to face with Jesus Christ, he realized that he was not good at all. He was actually just self righteous. And that's why Christianity is unique compared to any other religion. Because Christianity says it doesn't matter how hard you strive to get to God. You need God to come to you. Whether you are a Cretan or whether you are a religious zealot, the worst person on earth and the most upstanding citizen are both bad people in God's eyes. And Christianity leaves no room for self-righteousness. But the amazing thing is what happens in the next verse. Remember Eleanor waiting for someone to appear? Here's what happens. Verse 4. But when the kindness of God and our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Love? Kindness? I mean, don't wouldn't you expect when he came to deal with humanity that as the righteous judge, he would come with judgment? And anger, right now there's been a lot of break-ins in this neighborhood. I live in this neighborhood, and there's been a lot of car break-ins and a lot of house break-ins. My car got broken into a month ago, and over the weekend, someone's house got broken into. They had stepped out for just an hour, and they came back, and their house was trashed. Now, can you imagine what would happen if they appeared back at their house while it was being trashed by the burglars? Righteous indignation anger, frustration, and they would be right to do so. 
Yet when God shows up at his creation with humanity wrecking it with sin, he comes in kindness and love, not to bring judgment, but to bring his son Jesus into the world. That word kindness can also be translated goodness. And that word for love is where we get the word philanthropy. God sent Jesus in philanthropic love for a humanity that was shaking their fist at him. He appeared in Jesus Christ. Paul also writes in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ showed up and died for the ungodly. Christ came the first time not to bring judgment on bad people, but to be counted as a bad person and receive the judgment of God in your place. The judgment that you deserve is put on Christ on the cross so that you are not counted as a bad person. Why did he do that? Why would God do that? Is it because he saw something good in you? Oh, if I just give them a chance, then they'll, then they'll turn around. I think of that scene at the end of Return of the Jedi where Luke sees Darth Vader and he says, there's still good in you. By the way, Darth is Luke's father. Sorry to ruin it for you. But that's not God's approach to you. He's not going, look, I see something still good in you. That's not the reason that he shows up on the scene with Jesus Christ to die in your place. It's because of his mercy. It's nothing in you. It's all about him. Verse 5 says, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his, say it, mercy, but according to his mercy. See, people say God is good to good people. God helps those who help themselves. I'm a good person because of fill in the blank, and therefore I'm going to go to heaven. No, that's not how it works. God loves to show mercy to bad people. And mercy is when someone doesn't give you the punishment you deserve. Write down punishment you deserve. See, it's not true that God is good to good people. Rather, he sent Jesus to show mercy towards people who are not good. They don't follow his law. They're morally corrupt. If they follow God, it's a God that they've made in their own image. They don't have the moral ability to be good enough by God's standards. See, God sent Jesus not because of something good in you, but because of something good in him. His mercy. His mercy. The Father sent the Son, who wasn't just good. He was perfect. He perfectly loved God. He perfectly loved his neighbor. But he came to die for you and for me, for sinful people. He was punished in your place. He was buried. He rose again. And when you turn away from running your life and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, you become a child of God no longer under the wrath of God, but in the love of God. No longer spiritually dead, but alive. No longer separated, waiting for God to judge you, but in relationship with him as father. Brock and Gabby, you're baptized today, and you have turned away from running your life, and you put in your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But even that work in you, 
was out of God's kindness to you, out of his deep love for you. He was good and philanthropic towards you because even in your life and even as you started coming to Christ, that process of coming to Christ was his work in you. He brought you. He sent his spirit in your life so you begin asking questions and you began seeking and you begin to notice your sinful state and the place and state of your heart. And then he began to quicken you towards the good news of Jesus. And you experience this inner cleansing. And even as you were on this journey, it felt as if you were being drawn by something greater than yourself. That's God's kindness working in you through his spirit. See, when we come to Christ, it's not that we've just wised up and we finally made the right decision. It's not that we, you know, years back said, I'm going to go on a spiritual journey and I'll end up believing in Jesus at the end. No, it's not our willpower. It's that God is kind to work in us through his spirit, his Holy Spirit, which brings a spiritual rebirth. That's what Paul says right here, through the washing of regeneration. That's the rebirth. That's a spiritual rebirth that can only happen by the spirit of God in you. And the renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, what's happening today is not that bad people are now being good people. Spiritually dead people are now coming to life through the work of God. And this has always been what the scriptures have teaches, te- taught. In fact, when Jesus shows up on the scene, if you can go to John 3, Nicodemus comes to him at night, and Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There's been a power outside of yourself that's even drawing you to Jesus Christ. And this has always been the hope that was of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. The prophets of old longed for this. Tim Keller says this, this is a little longer quote, but I think you'll find it helpful. Tim Keller says, we are incapable on our own of simply believing in Jesus. I've never met anyone who came to faith by simply deciding to develop faith and then carrying out their plan. No, God has to open our hearts and help us break through our prejudices and our denials. One of the marks of real Christian faith then is a sense that there is some kind of power outside of you, putting its finger on you, coming to you, and dealing with you. It shows you things you find incredible, helps you see that it is true, and then enables you to rejoice and give yourself to it. Amen. God has drawn you to himself. In fact, every Christian that knows Jesus Christ has had the Holy Spirit work in your life to open your spiritual eyes and hearts can write down spiritual eyes and hearts. And this has always been the hope 
of the Old Testament looking towards Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel 36, it was prophesied, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. God chose to draw you to himself, Brock and Gabby. And that's amazing. And if you're here and you're in Jesus Christ, it isn't just that you wised up. It's that God actually chose to draw you to himself and cleanse you and bring new life in you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist shows up on the scene, he's baptizing people. It was a baptism for repentance to turn people to God because they were awaiting the Messiah. The point of John's baptism was to say, get ready because God is about to do something. But John's baptism was only an outward washing in preparation for Christ. Even John himself said, what we're really looking forward to is a spiritual rebirth that only Jesus Christ can bring. John says this, in the days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. John goes on and says, I baptize you with water for repentance but the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist recognized the limitations of his pre-Christian baptism. and What he was really looking forward to was the washing and the cleansing by the Holy Spirit that we symbolize today. Paul goes on to say that the Spirit has been poured out. In verse 6, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. And that's how bad people become cleansed people. Bad people become cleansed people because the Holy Spirit is now living in you. And you've been united to Jesus Christ. And he is yours. And you are his. And therefore, today is not just your public declaration to us or to God or to the world. It's God's public declaration to you. It's God declaring what he's done for you. Now, you're coming up here and you've decided that you need cleansing, but there's only one person who can cleanse, and that's our one true God. And God is symbolizing in the pouring of water that you have been cleansed. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is God's declaration to you that what has happened in your salvation has been sealed. You have been marked by God. I got a confession to make. Um, a couple weeks ago, I said I lost my wedding ring, and I blamed it on my kids. Well, I found it, and it wasn't my kids' fault. Um, and I'm wearing it. And as I wear this ring, it's a decision that I make because I'm going public with something, right? I'm taken. But I didn't, I didn't give myself this ring. My wife gave me this ring. She marked me with her love for me, and I now wear it saying, I'm taken. In the same way, your baptism is something that you are saying, but it is God putting his mark on you 
that you might know that you are his. That's why we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not an empty ritual. That's God putting his name on you and over you and saying, you are mine. And that's quite amazing because he knows the mess that we are. He knows the mess that we are. He knows that we're not good people. And yet he binds himself to us through the work of Jesus Christ and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And we can never be separated from him. There's a song I was listening to with my kids by Vance Joy. And he says, well, hold on, my darling. This mess was yours, but now this mess is mine. What he's saying is, once we're united together, all your problems I accept and I take. And that mess that is your life is mine now as well. And in God says the same thing to broken, sinful people. You're, the mess that is yours is now mine. God takes it all, our guilt, our shame, our addictions, and our selfishness. He takes it all. And that doesn't tear down our status with him because the status we have with Jesus isn't based on anything you or I have done. It's based on Christ. In verse 7, he says this, so that having, having been justified by his grace. New members, you remember those terms? Justified. Grace. Justification is when bad people are declared righteous, even though they're bad. You can write down righteous. Bad people are declared good in God's eyes, even though they're bad. And grace is favor that cannot be earned. It's undeserved favor from God. Our status is now that we have been declared righteous, and we are standing in this place of grace. But we're not good people. Yet, through the work of Jesus, we have this new status. And what's amazing about that is as you start to get that, you don't have to pensively live your life going, where do I stand with God? What does he think about me? I failed again. I went back to the sin I know I shouldn't have went back to. No. You've been justified. You've been regenerated. You stand in grace. You don't have to be pensive about the present because God's status that he's proclaimed over you is how he sees you now. You have been cleansed and are made right with him. But not only that, you do not have to be pensive about the future. You don't have to wait and wonder, am I good enough to go to the good place? That's already been settled. You're not good enough to go to the good place. But Jesus lived a good life on your behalf. And so when you say, are you going to heaven, you don't have to say, I hope so. You can say, I know so. I know so. Not because of something I've done, but because of something Jesus Christ has done for me. Paul says, we may become heirs, if you can go back one more, that we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That hope is not like, I don't know what's going to happen, so I hope I go to heaven. No, that hope is... Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, and he's saving a place for me, a bad person who has been cleansed and is now made righteous in his eyes and is filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't hope so. I know so that my eternity is with him. Here's the irony of this all. 
Look what Paul ends this passage saying. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to, say it, good work. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about bad people here. To devote themselves to good works, these are good and profitable for everyone. He's talking about people who have been redeemed. The church, you, what we're celebrating people's entrance into today, devoting themselves to good works, not to prove they're a good person, but because they've been freed from having to prove they're a good person. That whole thing's already been settled. But when you see the goodness of God to you as a sinner, it changes you. And makes you want to do good works, not so that you can earn the good place, but so that you can thank the one who was good to you through Jesus Christ. You have nothing left to prove to God. Jesus has done it all for you. Therefore, you can devote yourself to doing what God wants you to do, to doing good in our city. You have nothing left to prove. Amen. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask all our new members and our baptismal candidates to come on up while I pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you for his shed blood. We thank you for the rebirth in the Holy Spirit that we've experienced. And we ask that you would, um, you would Father, make this moment powerful in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Louisa. Rock, Gabby, Cherish, Angel, come on up. I'm going to have our new members stand on this side, and Brock and Gabby stand on that side. And is Chad, where's Chad? There he's coming. Okay. All right. Let's, um, let's welcome them up here, right? Uh, so part of this is that we... We ask questions, and it's a, a public declaration of faith. And so when people on my left here say it, they're saying that as people who have already been baptized and are becoming part of our church body today, and the people on my right are saying it as a, their first public confession of faith in Jesus Christ. So that's exciting, isn't it? I'm going to read these to you, and you know the answer, right? It's, it's yes. Okay. Um, let me... Go back. Let me just introduce everybody. I'm sorry. I forgot to do that. Um, so we have Angel Alameda, her daughter, Cherish Lazare, and Louisa Gray. And they're becoming members today. We also have Brock Bertanen and uh, Gabriella Duarte. But you go by Gabby. She goes by Gabby. All right, friends, uh, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. I told them to say yes because it gets a little, it gets a little wordy in there. Uh, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? 
Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Amen. Amen. Let's clap. Uh, so they have just joined our church. I'm going to ask them to stay up here for a minute, and then when, when everyone's done, we can hug. We can hug. But uh, I want to ask, Philip, would you just stand and pray for these three women of God? Amen. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to stay up here, though, because we want to we hug you all at once. But um, welcome to the family, everybody. Uh, yeah. So for our people that are being baptized, um, we have certificates that we've made. But I, I have a confession to make. Uh, Trisha was baptized a year and three months ago, and I'm just getting her, her certificate to her now. So... And then, um, let's see, this is, Evie was baptized a year ago. And, and then um, uh, my daughter Sophia was also baptized as a baby, but a year ago made a public confession of faith for the first time. So I wanted to give her this. And so when someone is baptized, we want to celebrate that. And when someone makes their first confession of faith publicly, we want to give them something to memorize or to memorialize that. Um, that doesn't, that's not a ticket into heaven by any means. So hopefully you listen to the sermon a little bit. Uh, but it does remind you that uh, the decision that you've made and what God's promised to you. So I'm going to ask Gabby to come and go ahead and wrap yourself up. Uh, this isn't magic water. It's just water from Hollywood tap. Um, <laughs> But it does symbolize what God has actually done for Gabby, that Christ has died in her place, his spirit has come and rebirthed her, and she's now a child of God. Amen? Gabby Duarte, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God. Father, we are so thankful for your mercy poured out to them. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit that allows them to see new things, to see new life, and to have the hope of eternity spent with you. 
Lord, I pray that you embolden them in their faith, Lord, and that you encourage them to know that they are, that you are with them always and that their ultimate hope is to see you one day face to face in heaven. Lord, we thank you for your work and we bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. As our worship team comes up, they're going to go back to their seats, but don't let them get to their seat without a hug. So.